Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Before we do that, you might want to open your Bibles. First Timothy chapter 2, we're playing around in today. Uh, unpacking, that's also on the YouVersion Bible app if you're on the smartphones or technology. Uh, and that's a helpful way to you follow along and take notes. You can use that for our life group conversations as well. Um, over, the, uh, over the last several weeks, several months, um, we've, I've been asking a number of people and from the platform, uh, what's one thing that we can do in this season? As we think about this next season, maybe you've got a goal that you're working towards. Some of us are working towards, you know, um, finishing VCE. And so that might be your next season. That's all you can think about. Some of us might be thinking about Christmas. Some of us might be thinking about our holidays. Some of us are thinking about harvest. That might be, you know, as far as we can think. But in the midst of all that, some of us are already thinking about Easter next year and Christmas next year. You think you've only got 77 days to Christmas. I'm already just about at Christmas next year. So you're all a bit behind. Um, that's, that's all I've done. I've, thought, I've known Christmas is coming next year. Um, but what's one thing? One thing that you believe God is asking you, what's one thing, one mindset, one attitude, one behaviour, one conversation that you could be a part of? that you believe that God is asking you to really step into and reflect his love? What's one thing that you can uh, be a part of? In the ordinary, every day, an attitude, a mindset, one decision that you want to make in your family, in your workplace, one decision about how you want to engage with people, one decision about one thing about how you want to be present, authentic or courageous or generous, Knowing that as God transforms me into his likeness, I am being transformed. And as I am transformed, I too am part of transforming a community. That's our vision, to transform our community in the name of Jesus. But realising that the only way we see transformation in the community is if I first am transformed. But it's not only about one thing, because sometimes when we can say, oh, I'm just focusing on one thing, we lose sight of a, that becomes so much of our focus that we actually lose sight of where that's come from, or we lose sight of the bigger picture that we're a part of. Uh, heard the story recently of a man who uh, walked past, uh, walking down a street, and he walks past several bricklayers. The first bricklayer he walked past, you know, what are you up to? Now, I would imagine as a bricklayer, it'd be pretty obvious what he's doing. He's laying bricks, you know. Um, but the, the first bricklayer says, I'm just laying bricks. Brick after brick after brick. That's all I do all day. I just lay bricks. I've got, you know, it's not a very exciting thing. I slap the concrete on. I put the brick on. I'm just laying bricks. Man walks a little bit further. He comes up to the second bricklayer. What are you up to? Oh, I'm, see this? I'm building this wall. I've been working on this for days, for weeks, for months. And I've just, this, I mean, it's taken forever. And it seems like it's never ending. But I, look at that wall. He goes up to the third bricklayer. What are you up to? Let me show you. And the third bricklayer walks him around this grand cathedral that they're all building. And this third bricklayer says, I've been laying bricks to build this grand cathedral that will outlast me. And I get to be a part of something else. Just one thing that I'm doing, but look at the outcome. 
And sometimes our perspective on one thing needs to be in mindsets of the grander thing, the bigger picture. We recognise our one thing is part of something greater. It's a part of this time, but also a part of eternity. It is a part of me, but it is also a part of us, a part of community. Nothing is done in isolation. And sadly, I think it's one of the great challenges in the church and our Western world, in fact, is that we live so much of our lives in isolation. We're busy, we're tired, we're flat out, our days are full, and yet we still feel so disconnected and isolated. So what's one thing? But don't lose sight of that one thing being the only thing. The one thing is part of something much bigger. And I say all that to introduce us to uh, these letters to Timothy and Titus. Uh, We're reading through Timothy and Titus. And if you're new to church, if you're rediscovering church or exploring who Jesus is, perhaps for the first time, or trying to reconnect and re-engage, there's some things happening in your life and you want to just rediscover the heart of Jesus, we want to welcome you uh, as we welcome our regulars and people who are faithful. We're really committed to having a broad range of people and recognising the broad range of stories who gather uh, to discover and the people who gather and the stories that we do carry. But these letters to Timothy and Titus, and I want us to remember the foundation of it, um, that we, uh, sorry, technology's doing wonderful things, um, that uh, Tim, uh, Paul started writing these. Now, I'll say again, some people believe Paul wrote it. Some people believe it was like a disciple of Paul and used Paul's name because that gave them some credit. We're just using Paul wrote it just to simplify it. Uh, so this is the foundation. This is how Paul starts this letter, writing to Timothy, a young leader who he sent to Ephesus. Remember the letter to Ephesians. Uh, this is that church. Uh, commands certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. So already we get an idea that there's something happening here. Timothy, it seems, has written to Paul or written to the author of this letter and complained about a couple of people. Compli- you know, command certain people. <laughs> like Paul, this, this author, who no, I, I want to suggest... Um, and I think he mentions them a bit later on. Uh, he knows who these people are. He's probably met them. But this is the foundational of this text. This is the foundation of this letter. Be focused on what you need to be focused on and remember what you're called to do. It's important, therefore, to ask what's happening in this community as we read through this letter. And we're going to unpack a little bit of that today. And look, some of it you might leave very dissatisfied today because maybe it won't go deep enough. I've joined a couple of things together. I could speak I could speak for weeks on each of these themes, but I've joined them together for a specific reason that I hope will make itself clear. Um, so here we go. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Does anyone, am, I, am I yelling at you? Okay. Um, I feel like I'm yelling. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be enthusiastic. Yeah, um, I'll probably wind up shortly. Um, (laughs) That's my calm voice. Um, I urge then, first of all, (laughs) um, 
I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I love this statement. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. And a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. The Gentiles being the Greek people, the people who don't have any Jewish history or heritage. Um, so uh, a few things here. Um, the... And again, you could teach on this. So it seems like there's similar ideas, petitions, prayers and intercession and thanksgiving. Uh, petitions, another word might be requests. Your translations might be, say, requests. Other translations might be, say, don't be afraid to ask for things. Um, prayers is probably the overall uh, concept that uh, is trying to be expressed here. And the intercession, consider the intercession is um, to stand in the gap for someone. To stand in the gap for uh, those who aren't able to stand themselves. Maybe they're in the midst of mess. Maybe they're in the midst of battles that are surprising them or challenges that are overwhelming them and they're finding it hard to pray. You become the person who prays on their behalf. You know how we've said before, um, you might not be able to sing the songs. You might not sure that you're convinced of the truth of these songs. Then stand and let other people sing them for you. Sometimes that's what we need. We need other people to say a truth to us that we might not fully capture or believe for ourselves. We kind of know what's true. Have you ever been in a conversation where someone's just tried to speak love over you and told you how worthy you are and how well you're doing and how beautiful you are and how great you are and how grateful we are that you're around and you kind of walk away and you go, meh. Have you ever done that? I know I have. Because we need other people who will stand in the gap for us sometimes, Yeah. Because we don't always have the energy. We don't always have the enthusiasm. We don't always have the faith. That's what intercession is. Other people who have the faith and stand up. Look, I know there's, you could teach on intercession. Uh, and I know other people are much better at it than me. But here's the thing that I want us to understand more than anything. We know Paul and even those who were disciples of Paul, we know Paul to be like the gold standard of evangelism. If you've been around in the church, if you've read the Bible, like Paul, Paul is the, um, he's, he's the first, one of the first mission people. Right, he's one of the first mission people that takes the good news of Jesus from this small little spot and starts spreading it. Goes on mission journey after mission journey, comes back to Jerusalem, another mission journey. He plants churches left, right and centre. This guy, he's all over evangelism. He is the gospel telling, gospel proclamation, good news king. That's how we understand Paul. We hold Paul up as the, the epitome of evangelism. And yet in this point, to this church, to this leader, the first thing that Paul says is, remember the good news, remember the work of faith, and when, as you do that, pray. Pray. So we get so hung up about what's, in, you know, the one thing. The one thing should be evangelism. The one thing should be worship. The one thing should be healing. No, 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 no. Or the one thing should be prayer. No, 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 no. That's all part of something. Yeah? It's all part of the great cathedral. 
I just love, as Paul uh, writes this letter to Timothy, to this young um, minister, to this young leader in the church, he, his first encouragement is to pray. Pray as one, pray for one, pray as community, pray for community. Do you know, the last few months we've had um, this... Uh, We've had, these, we've had the prayer seminar and this weekend we've had spirit connection training, which is again is about prayer and it's about the work of prayer and the ministry of prayer. And it's wonderful to go to the seminars. It's wonderful to go to the training. It's challenging to implement it when you go back to your normal everyday life. But that's what we've got to do. It's one thing to go to conferences. It's another thing to have those one or two things implemented and continue to make those commitments. What's one thing? that we will continue to do. And then Paul becomes really specific uh, when um, after that. And he says, firstly, pray for everyone. Pray for all people. Just let that sink in for a minute. And when I, when, you know, the first thing that comes to mind, like it's easy to pray for people we love, isn't it? You know, God protect them, God guide them, God strengthen them. Are we people who pray for those people who are driving us nuts? Those people who we disagree with. Those people that, quite frankly, we don't like or they don't like us. Those people who are making our life difficult. Are we praying for them? Pray for everyone. Like, I don't know when you hear the text, like, all people, like, it's not too exclusive, is it? Like, he doesn't say, Simon, pray for all Collingwood supporters. And some of you would say they need it. But um, it's like, pray for all football supporters. Even if they barrack for Geelong and think that they're hot stuff right now. It's amazing how many people think they're barracking for Geelong. You never hear about it until they win a premiership once every 11 years. Um, <clears throat> pray for everyone. You know that annoying colleague? Pray for them. You know that annoying teacher? Pray for them. You know that person at school that just constantly gives you a hard time all the time, no matter what you do. Pray for them. You know that annoying neighbour or that person who never seems to wave or give you the time of day? Pray for them. You know that annoying minister that keeps talking about Collingwood? Pray for them. <laughs> Pray for everyone. Don't leave anyone out. When you're frustrated at someone, pray for them. When you're annoyed at someone, pray for them. When someone disagrees with you or you disagree with them, pray for them. And you know what prayer does? It changes you first, not them. Sometimes a prayer is not so that they agree with me, but so that my heart is aligned with the Father. Not sometimes, it is. Full stop. So sometimes, and we've used prayer often, you know, get what I want, get the blessings of God. No, no, no. Prayer is often about, God, I need my heart to be aligned with yours so that I might see this person, everyone, as you see them, as created in your image. And then he goes a bit more specific in this. <clears throat> and he says, pray for kings and those in authority. 
Take a deep breath with me. Breathe in. Breathe out. We have this enormous freedom in this state, in this country, this democratic freedom that we absolutely take for granted. You know how I take for granted? Because of the things that I see Christians saying about our leaders on our social media. So I want to be very clear to people who can... I'm, I'm going to, if I start seeing people talk about Dan Andrews in a derogatory way over this next period of time, you might see some comments that you might not like from me over the next few months because I've had enough. This is our call. And if you want to derog- make derogatory comments towards our leaders, how, how do we ever expect to, for the, world, the rest of the world to know that we stand for this God of hope, this God of restoration, this God of renewal and reconciliation? When we sit at a distance, not knowing everything that's going on in our parliaments and deriding our leaders. I'm not saying you have to agree with their philosophies. I'm not saying you have to agree with their statements. I'm not saying you have to agree with their policies. But let's be honouring of our leaders. You can vote Labor, Liberal, Green, everything in between. Heaven knows you'll have plenty of options. I'm not going to tell you how to vote. But I'm going to ask you if we're praying for them. And I say that as a person who's been convicted of it over the last period of time. See, it's one thing to... And the reality is, if we sit around and talk about what our premiers and our prime ministers and whatever else aren't or are doing, like, do we know anything about their policies for homelessness? Or to overcome poverty? Or the mental health issues in our society that just seem to increase? And what what steps are we taking as a church, as people of faith, who are called to bring about the kingdom of God in this earth, to make all things new? What's the contribution that we're making? You get to vote for it. That's a great freedom that many people don't have. As we vote, let's pray for our leaders. And notice that Paul gives the why. All right? Let's go back here. I should have done this earlier. I pray for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and it pleases God our Saviour who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Let me ask us a question. Do you think our government come closer to Jesus because we sit at a distance bagging them out? Or do you think they might come closer to Jesus when they see what Christians are standing for? Are we known what we stand against or what we stand for? Are we known by our love or are we known by our complaints and whatever else we throw at our governments? See, what we need to understand is the message of the early church was an affront to the government, not because they were in government. It was an affront to the government because they said Jesus was Lord, not Caesar. They weren't striving for their rights to be a political force, but they were a political force because of the way that the church lived its life. Do you understand the difference? They might not have been shaping policies, but they were shaping policies down here because they cared for the sick. They fed the hungry. They welcomed the homeless. They spent their money on changing society not fighting for their rights. 
Jeremiah chapter 29, and this is uh, a people of exile. People have been taken into exile. People of Israel have been gone into, uh, taken into Babylon. And Jeremiah writes to them, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile, says God. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. A place and a city where their temple, their way of life, their way of worship had been stripped from them. And the cry and the call is to pray for that city. Man, when, you know, if you've been around Horsham for any length of time, like, are we praying for our counsellors? Philippians chapter 4, a favourite verse that we all do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Pray in all things. And first, I love this from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. Pray continually. <laughs> That just tickles me. John Stott writes, and here's what I, I love this quote from John Stott, commentator um, and author and theologian. I sometimes wonder whether the comparatively slow progress towards peace and justice in the world and towards world evangelization is due more than anything else to the prayerlessness of the people of God. Paul directed the churches to pray for kings and all those in authority. This was a remarkable instruction. Since at that time, no Christian ruler existed anywhere in the world. By contrast, when Paul told Timothy to pray for kings, the reigning emperor was Nero, whose vanity, cruelty and hostility to the Christian faith were widely known. Can you imagine praying for your emperor, praying for the premier, praying for the prime minister one day, and the next day being burned at the stake simply because you prayed. That's the model. That's the standard. I read this quote, and please, this is not about twisting people's arms and not making people feel guilty. I hope it brings conviction, but I don't want us to live in guilt and shame. Historical commentator uh, Joel Beek uh, I've copied this and kept it as a constant reminder. It is time to reassess the importance of prayer meetings. For the church that does not earnestly pray together cannot hope to experience revival and renewal. Have we forgotten that the Reformation era churches often held daily morning and evening services for preaching and prayer? Is it surprising that the Reformed faith has experienced more revival in Korea than anywhere else in the world in the last half century when Christians there gather 365 mornings a year for prayer? at 5am in the summer and 6am in the winter. Now, let me, um, I was struck, I'm going off track here a little bit. I'll be finished before Operation 1914, it's okay. Um, I was reminded and I was struck um, by the call to worship that Dennis offers a couple of weeks ago. If you, was it last week or the week before? He talked about the time that we give to our Sunday morning service, 1%. 1% of our time in the week. And it strikes me in ongoing conversations when Christians talk about, I want to see this and I want to see this happen. I want to see this happen. Do you know the first 1% that will drop when we're tired or weary or when we're frustrated and when we're worn out, when we're angry, when we're disappointed, when someone's upset us? Do you know the first 1% will drop? Is this time. It's the first 1% will walk away. Do you know what the most important aspect of any sport is? Any training? 
Any physical growth, any physical improvement, if you go training as an athlete, and we're told in scriptures to train yourselves as an athlete, do you know what the most significant and um, highlighted or celebrated things are? It's the 1% things that people do to improve themselves, to grow themselves, to mature themselves. Do you know what impresses coaches, football coaches? It's not always the people who get the highest amount of stats or the biggest amount of handballs or kicks. It's the people who drag away the opposition's best player. It's the 1%. It's the people who put the shepherd on. It's the people who do the 1%, who create the space on the field for someone else to do what they're meant to do. It's the 1%. And I know often we hear this and we'll be overwhelmed with guilt and a sense of shame that we're not, it's not about performing, it's just about, I really believe this, we need to change our game somewhat. I can't force you into that, I can't force myself into that, well, I probably can, but I'm not here to twist your arm, I'm just highlighting some things that we all talk about and conversations that I've had and the longing that we have as Christians to see our world changed. Where's it going to start? What's the 1% I'm willing to bring? So that Jesus can multiply and increase his work in and through me. So I'm, convinced, I'm convicted to pray for our leaders despite the theological, philosophical or policy differences. When I think about the weariness, I'm convicted and the, the tiredness of people who are Christians in the church or even the apathy of I'm convicted in the way that I pray for the church. When I hear of the struggles in marriages and challenges with children and hardships and heartaches, I'm convicted to pray. See, prayer changes me first. It directs my heart not to be a person of judgment, not to be a person of condemnation, but it directs my heart, my spirit, my body to do God's will and purpose. But it also reminds me that God is still about restoring all things to himself. Changed lives requires praying people. So Paul starts his next section, therefore. I want you to remember that word, therefore. When he says therefore, it's like with all that in mind, we're going to move on. Remember this as we go into this. Remember that this instruction is not in isolation. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety. Uh, That's, uh, oh, I looked up that word now. I've lost it. It's gone from my mind. Look it up. Um, (laughs) Adorning themselves, not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Everyone breathe in. You're watching online, breathe out. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. Breathe in. <laughs> breathe out. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Uh, I think that propriety is like a sense of calmness. Um, 
Is, are you looking that word up, Jared? Uh, sense of calmness, a sense of wisdom, humility, if you like. It's kind of that captured. Um, when we read these verses, a couple of things happen. Um, we will read these verses. Hang on, look out. Appropriateness to the purpose or circumstances. Suitability. Thank you very much. There you go. Um, when we remove these words from their context and culture, we step into very dangerous territory. So that's, that's what we'll do. It's just as dangerous as to throw them out as unnecessary or irrelevant. There's a few of you who have already just, all right, come on, give it to me. All right, just stay with me here. Um, and like I say, there might be a few of you who are dissatisfied with what I say. Um, some of you might be reading this and you go, see, this is the why the Christian church has got no place in our society. This is why the gospel or Jesus Christ is a waste of time. Well, okay, stay with me. Let's see what happens. We can take them so literally that this is what we're willing to do. This is the one thing that we're willing to die on. Remember that word, therefore? Start back there. All right. Let's keep in mind two bigger pictures. If we take in, we can't, we can't hold these words separate from everything else that Paul says. Because other things that Paul says in other letters are things like, we are all created in the image of God. Yeah, we, you know, if you've read your Bibles, people agree with me so far? Yep. We're only saved by grace as a gift from God. Yep. We can affirm that? Yep, okay. Paul also clearly celebrates women in leadership. Clearly, in other letters. We, yeah? Okay. Breathe in, breathe out. So the question I want to ask then, as we come to a text like this, we have to be willing to say, what are the challenges here? What are the lessons here? What are the opportunities? And what are the eternal principles that we need to carry through these difficult texts? Because they're difficult for us to hear. Because we often assume, oh, we've just banged. And it's caused so many arguments. And essentially, it's caused so many arguments by men setting up the rules for how women should behave. Yeah? Men who want to hold on to positions of power and authority out of fear or because they're not honouring the gospel of grace. Do you know that um, one of the fastest growing, and I don't say that to be uh, comparing or competitive at all, but one of the fastest growing, one of the most effective and influential churches in making disciples at the moment is in Iran. And it's being led by women. And it's no accident, I don't think, if you've, I, don't, I don't actually know where I saw it, but have you seen the news items where women everywhere are cutting off their hair? And who led that? The women of Iran, because they were sick of the, um, the modesty police that they're called, I think. Like that's their real name. The modesty police walking around beating up women who... Um, <clears throat> who aren't covering themselves. And they, they justify it and they explain it according to their laws and to their religion, right? And so this 23-year-old girl was beaten up because she wasn't covering herself fully, because she was making a stand, 
not at the policy levels, but at the policy grounded levels, and saying, actually, I'm a human being. And so she took it off and she was beaten to death. And then this group of modesty police have said she died of a heart attack. Surely we cannot sit here and say, well, women should submit themselves. There's something fundamentally wrong with that, isn't there? Even if we think that people should be covered, there's something fundamentally wrong with a group who think we can walk around and beat someone to death because they disagree with our policy. Isn't there? So therefore, pray for everyone (laughs) and then work out what this looks like in our community. And the people of Iran are saying, this is not how it should be in our community. And churches have lost so much. I know that the women who have spoken into my life, uh, I think about, firstly, my mum. Hi, mum and dad. Say hi to your mother. Um, uh, Mum will be horrified that I've done that. Um, Or she'll be sitting on the couch just laughing her head off. I don't know. Either one. Um, My mum, people uh, that I've... uh, I went through college, I've got some great friends, uh, Penny and Cindy, who have uh, influenced me in enormous ways about faith. Uh, I think about um, uh, working with Glenda and Linda uh, and Anna and um, Alana and Kerry and what they've brought into my life because I work with them. I think of my wife, who I've been married to for nearly 30 years, who has taught me so much about love and grace and peace and patience and contentment. And then being the dad of four girls. Woo-wee! They've taught me some stuff about what it means to be a man and what it means to be male, female, and how to treat one another. Like, and, and the church has lost so much for over such a long history because we've tried to squash this because of these verses. And we have lost so much because of it. So we need to discern the eternal picture even as we pay attention to one thing. We get an insight. So here's what I think might be happening um, in, our, in the community that is being addressed here. Could it be that this community is being known and Paul is saying to this community, hey, tell the men to stop being argumentative and angry. Could it be that there's a group of people in this community, uh, a group of women particularly, who are flaunting their wealth and making themselves appear more superior by flaunting their wealth? And he says, well, you know, it's not necessary. Could it be there's a dispute about authority and how it is expressed? And could it be that there's a false teaching about women being saved through their childbearing? Right? There's, and just a, just a brief snapshot because I'm taking too long. Um, there's a, there was a high rate of infant mortality, deaths at birth and women giving birth. There's a high rate of death. And they used to believe that if you uh, made a sacrifice to a particular Greek god, that would protect you. Therefore, you would be saved through childbirth. All right? So it's almost like it's Paul's, Paul's saying here, and as for being saved through childbirth, well, you're only saved in faith, in holiness and in love through the grace of God. Could Paul be saying in the midst of all this, don't be sucked back into how you once lived 
And he's urging Timothy to instruct people to consider their attitude, their heart in faith, their love and their holiness. And see, if we want to go back and we want to say, oh, but Simon, women should be quiet. They shouldn't be teaching men, you know, and yes, they should be giving birth to children. What are we saying to women who are single or choose not to have children? Honestly, how are we helping them grow up into the fullness of who they're made to be in the image of Christ? And if we want to argue, and particularly men, if we want to argue, I never had this argument with women 25 years of ministry. You notice that, Jared? My wife won't do this. What are you, how are you going loving your wife? Oh, my wife isn't submitting to you. Uh, how are you doing loving your wife as Christ first loved you? Oh, what do you mean? Are you willing to die for your wife? <laughs> It'd be funny if it wasn't true. Now, wives, women, I'm not giving you permission to beat up on men. Yeah, and we're laughing because we know we do it. Um, could, Paul, could Paul, I'm going to wrap it up here. If the team want to come up. Um, could Paul be asking the church, this church, the church of Timothy, the, the Ephesus church. Could he be asking us today, if we want to take this with an eternal perspective, could he be asking us today, what, hang on, don't take that just yet. Come back. I'm making that point. You can come up. Sorry about that. Gee, I've just ruined the moment. Sorry, Annabelle. I was pointing at something. I should have just packed up 20 minutes ago, shouldn't I? Um, what is the legacy that we will pass on to the next generations? Could that be the question that he's asking here? Is our legacy one of prayer? Is our legacy one of love? You can take that now. <laughs> is our legacy one of humility? Is our legacy one of being fully surrendered to Jesus? Is our legacy um, one of humility? Is our legacy one of grace? Is our legacy one of serving one another as Christ has first loved us? Do we go into conversations wanting to raise other people up, whether fail or male, fail, whether male or female, whether uh, street sweeper or CEO? Do we want to raise them up for them to recognise their full capacity of being made in the image of Christ. That's what it is to submit to one another. Will we leave a legacy where we pray for our governments, where we love our governments, where we love our cities? And in so doing, we disciple the next generations and build the church. Will we leave a legacy that is both one of faith, one of holiness, one of love? despite the challenges, despite the hardship, despite the sense that we feel like we're being shut out and squashed, what kind of legacy will we leave the next generations? And so I want to finish where we started. What song are you singing? No. Um, <laughs> uh, so let me finish where we started. What's one thing you can do today? What's one thing you can do? What's one decision? What's one mindset? What's one attitude? What's one behaviour? I, I know I've probably gone, 
over time that we normally rather, but I just felt like it was all important to put together because I know that we could hold the prayer and women separately and I probably haven't gone in deep enough, but I felt like those things were so intricately linked together and often they're held as so separate things. But if we were to be a people of prayer, maybe that would change the way that we see one another. Maybe that would change the way that we serve one another and think of one another and cheer one another on. What's one thing today? What's your commitment today? What is it for you to follow Jesus this week? I know that we've got lots on, and I keep saying it because I keep hearing it. There's lots in your worlds. There's lots happening. You're already thinking about tomorrow. You're already thinking about this afternoon. Okay, in the midst of all that, what's one way that I want to ask and surrender and submit to the heart of Jesus that I'll be changed? So that as I go about those things, my heart is after God's own heart. And if you need prayer in that today, we want to offer that. We want to invite that. We want to encourage that. You can come down the front or go and seek someone out and ask them to pray with you and for you and to follow you up and to cheer you on. What's the legacy that we want to pass on to the next generations?